section twenty three of a history of our own times volume one by justin mccarthy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter eleven the disasters of kabul part one the earliest days of the peel ministry fell upon trouble not indeed at home but abroad at home the prospect still seemed bright the birth of the queen's eldest son was an event welcomed by national congratulation there was still great distress in the agricultural districts but there was a general confidence that the financial genius of peel would quickly find some way to make burdens light and that the condition of things all over the country would begin to mend it was a region far removed from the knowledge and the thoughts of most englishmen that supplied the news now beginning to come into england day after day and to thrill the country with the tale of one of the greatest disasters to english policy and english arms to be found in all the record of our dealings with the east there are many still living who can recall with an impression as keen as though it belonged to yesterday the first accounts that reached this country of the surrender at kabul and the gradual extinction of the army that tried to make its retreat through the terrible pass this grim chapter of history had been for some time in preparation it may be said to open with the rain itself news travelled slowly then and it was quite in the ordinary course of things that some part of the empire might be torn with convulsion for months before london knew that the even and ordinary condition of things had been disturbed in this instance the rejoicings at the accession of the young queen were still going on when a series of events had begun in central asia destined to excite the profoundest emotion in england and to exercise the most powerful influence upon our foreign policy down to the present hour on september twentieth eighteen thirty seven captain alexander burns arrived at kabul the capital of the state of kabul in the north of afghanistan and the ancient capital of the emperor babur whose tomb is on a hill outside the city burns was a famous orientalist and traveller the burton or burnaby of his day he had conducted an expedition into central asia had published his travels in bokhara and had been sent on a mission by the indian government in whose service he was to study the navigation of the indus he was it may be remarked a member of the family of robert burns the poet himself having changed the original spelling of the name which all the other members of the family retained the object of the journey of captain burns to kabul in eighteen thirty seven was in the first instance to enter into commercial relations with dost mohammed then ruler of kabul and with other chiefs of the western regions but events soon changed his business from a commercial into a political and diplomatic mission and his tragic fate would make his journey memorable to englishmen forever even if other events had not grown out of it which give it a place of more than personal importance in history the great region of afghanistan with its historical boundaries as varying and difficult to fix at certain times as those of the old dukedom of burgundy has been called the land of transition between eastern and western asia all the great ways that lead from persia to india pass through that region there is a proverb which declares that no one can be king of hindustan without first becoming lord of kabul 
the afghans are the ruling nation but among them have long been settled hindus arabs armenians abyssinians and men of other races and religions the afghans are mohammedans of the shunite sect but they allowed hindus christians and even the persians who are of the hated dissenting sect of the shiites to live among them and even to rise to high position and influence the founder of the afghan empire ahmed shah died in seventeen seventy three he had made an empire which stretched from herat on the west to sirhind on the east and from the oxus and kashmir on the north to the arabian sea and the mouths of the indus on the south the death of his son timur shah delivered the kingdom up to the hostile factions intrigues and quarrels of his sons the leaders of a powerful tribe the Baruskies, took advantage of the events that arose out of this condition of things to dethrone the descendants of ahmed shah when captain burns visited afghanistan in eighteen thirty two the only part of all their great inheritance which yet remained with the descendants of ahmed shah was the principality of herat the remainder of afghanistan was parcelled out between dost mohammed and his brothers dost mohammed was a man of extraordinary ability and energy he would probably have made a name as a soldier and a statesman anywhere he had led a stormy youth but had put away with maturity and responsibility the vices and follies of his earlier years there seems no reason to doubt that although he was a usurper he was a sincere lover of his country and on the whole a wise and just ruler when captain burns visited dost mohammed he was received with every mark of friendship and favour dost mohammed professed to be and no doubt at one time was a sincere friend of the english government and people there was however at that time a quarrel going on between the shah of persia and the prince of herat the last enthroned representative as has been already said of the great family on whose fall dost mohammed and his brothers had mounted into power so far as can now be judged there does seem to have been serious and genuine ground of complaint on the part of persia against the ruler of herat but it is probable too that the persian shah had been seeking for and in any case would have found a pretext for making war and the strong impression at the time in england and among the authorities in india was that persia herself was but a puppet in the hands of russia a glance at the map will show the meaning of this suspicion and the reasons which at once gave it plausibility and would have rendered it of grave importance if persia were merely the instrument of russia and if the troops of the shah were only the advance guard of the czar then undoubtedly the attack on herat might have been regarded as the first step of a great movement of russia toward our indian dominion there were other reasons too to give this suspicion some plausibility mysterious agents of russia officers in her service and others began to show themselves in central asia at the time of captain burns visit to dost mohammed undoubtedly russia did set herself for some reason to win the friendship and alliance of dost mohammed and captain burns was for his part engaged in the same endeavour all considerations of a merely commercial nature had long since been put away and burns was freely and earnestly negotiating with dost mohammed for his alliance 
Burns always insisted that Dost Mohammed himself was sincerely anxious to become an ally of England, and that he offered more than once on his own free part to dismiss the Russian agents, even without seeing them, if Burns desired him to do so. But for some reason Burns's superiors did not share his confidence. In Downing Street and in Simla, the profoundest distrust of Dost Mohammed prevailed. It was again and again impressed on Burns that he must regard Dost Mohammed as a treacherous enemy and as a man playing the part of Persia and of Russia. It is impossible now to estimate fairly all the reasons which may have justified the English and the Indian government in this conviction, but we know that nothing in the policy afterwards followed out by the Indian authorities exhibited any of the judgment and wisdom that would warrant us to take anything for granted on the mere faith of their dictum. The story of four years, almost to a day, the extent of this sad chapter of English history, will be a tale of such misfortune, blunder, and humiliation as the annals of England do not anywhere else present. Blunders which were indeed worse than crimes, and a principle of action which it is a crime in any rulers to sanction, brought things to such a pass with us, that in a few years from the accession of the Queen we had in Afghanistan soldiers who were positively afraid to fight the enemy, and some English officials who were not ashamed to treat for the removal of our most formidable foes by purchased assassination. It is a good thing for us all to read in cold blood this chapter of our history. It will teach us how vain is a policy founded on evil and ignoble principles, how vain is the strength and courage of men when they have not leaders fit to command. It may teach us also not to be too severe in our criticism of other nations. The failure of the French invasion of Mexico under the Second Empire seems like glory when compared with the failure of our attempt to impose a hated sovereign on the Afghan people. Captain Burns, then, was placed in the painful difficulty of having to carry out a policy of which he entirely disapproved. He believed in Dost Mohammed as a friend, and he was ordered to regard him as an enemy. It would have been better for the career and for the reputation of Burns if he had simply declined to have anything to do with a course of action which seemed to him at once unjust and unwise. But Burns was a young man, full of youth's energy and ambition. He thought he saw a career of distinction opening before him, and he was unwilling to close it abruptly by setting himself in obstinate opposition to his superiors. He was, besides, of a quick mercurial temperament, over which mood followed mood in rapid succession of change. A slight contradiction sometimes threw him into momentary despondency. A gleam of hope elated him into the assurance that all was one. It is probable that after a while he may have persuaded himself to acquiesce in the judgment of his chiefs. On the other hand, Dost Mohammed was placed in a position of great difficulty and danger. He had to choose. He could not remain absolutely independent of all the disputants. If England would not support him, he must for his own safety find alliances elsewhere, in Russian statecraft, for example. He told Burns of this again and again, and Burns endeavoured without the slightest success 
to impress his superiors with his own views as to the reasonableness of Dost Mohammed's arguments. Ranjit Singh, the daring and successful adventurer who had annexed the whole province of Kashmir to his dominions, was the enemy of Dost Mohammed and the faithful ally of England. Dost Mohammed thought the British government could assist him in coming to terms with Ranjit Singh, and Burns had assured him that the British government would do all it could to establish satisfactory terms of peace between Afghanistan and the Punjab, over which Rajit ruled. Burns wrote from Kabul to say that Russia had made substantial offers to Dost Mohammed, Persia had been lavish in her biddings for his alliance, Bokhara and other states had not been backward. Yet in all that has passed or is daily transpiring, the chief of Kabul declares that he prefers the sympathy and friendly offices of the British to all these offers, however alluring they may seem, from Persia or from the emperor, which places his good sense in a light more than prominent, and in my humble judgment proves that by an earlier attention to these countries we might have escaped the whole of these intrigues and held long since a stable influence in Kabul. Burns, however, was unable to impress his superiors with any belief, either in Dost Mohammed or in the policy which he himself advocated, and the result was that Lord Auckland, the Governor-General of India, at length resolved to treat Dost Mohammed as an enemy and to drive him from Kabul. Lord Auckland, therefore, entered into a treaty with Ranjit Singh and Shah Suja-ul-Mulk, the exiled representative of what we may call the legitimist rulers of Afghanistan, for the restoration of the latter to the throne of his ancestors, and for the destruction of the power of Dost Mohammed. It ought to be a waste of time to enter into any argument and condemnation of such a policy in our days, even if its results had not proved in this particular instance its most striking and exemplary condemnation. It is so grossly and flagrantly opposed to all the principles of our more modern statesmanship that no one among us now ought to need a warning against it dost mohammed was the accepted popular and successful ruler of kabul no matter what our quarrel with him we had not the slightest right to make it an excuse for forcing on his people a ruler whom they had proved before as they were soon to prove again that they thoroughly detested Perhaps the nearest parallel to our policy in this instance is to be found in the French invasion of Mexico and the disastrous attempt to impose a foreign ruler on the Mexican people. Each experiment ended in utter failure and in the miserable death of the unfortunate puppet prince who was put forward as the figurehead of the enterprise. But the French emperor could at least have pleaded in his defense that Maximilian of Austria had not already been tried and rejected by the Mexican people. Our protege had been tried and rejected. The French emperor might have pleaded that he had actual and substantial wrongs to avenge. We had only problematical and possible dangers to guard against. In any case, as has already been said, the calamities entailed on French arms and councils by the Mexican intervention read like a page of brilliant success when compared with the immediate result of our enterprise in Kabul. Before passing away from this part of the subject, it is necessary to mention the fact that among its many unfortunate incidents, the campaign led to some peculiarly humiliating debates 
and some lamentable accusations in the house of commons years after burns had been flung into his bloody grave it was found that the english government had presented to the house of commons his dispatches in so mutilated and altered a form that burns was made to seem as if he actually approved and recommended the policy which he especially warned us to avoid it is painful to have to record such a fact but it is indispensable that it should be recorded it would be vain to attempt to explain how the principles and the honour of english statesmanship fell for the hour under the demoralising influence which allowed such things to be thought legitimate an oriental atmosphere seemed to have gathered around our official leaders in afghanistan they were entering into secret and treacherous treaties in england they were garbling dispatches when years after lord palmerston was called upon to defend the policy which had thus dealt with the dispatches of alexander burns he did not say that the documents were not garbled he only contended that as the government had determined not to act on the advice of burns they were in no wise bound to publish those passages of his dispatches in which he set forth assumptions which they believed to be unfounded and advised a policy which they looked upon as mistaken such a defence is only to be read with wonder and pain the government were not accused of suppressing passages which they believed rightly or wrongly to be worthless the accusation was that by suppressing passages and sentences here and there burns was made to appear as if he were actually recommending the policy against which he was at the time most earnestly protesting burns was himself the first victim of the policy which he strove against and which all england has since condemned no severer word is needed to condemn the mutilation of his dispatches than to say that he was actually made to stand before the country as responsible for having recommended that very policy it should never be forgotten says sir j w k the historian of the afghan war by those who would form a correct estimate of the character and career of alexander burns that both have been misrepresented in those collections of state papers which are supposed to furnish the best materials of history but which are often in reality only one-sided compilations of garbled documents counterfeits which the ministerial stamp forces into currency defrauding a present generation and handing down to posterity a chain of dangerous lies end of section twenty three